with. Just take a quick moment to think. I know we don't often ask people to do that in church. Controversy. Um, I want you to think about, if you could sum up the message of Jesus in one sentence, what would it be? Jesus. Go on, let's shout out a few answers. Go on then. We'll love. Jesus. Love me, love others. Oh, I've got that as one of my examples. It's a good one. Life-changing. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Oh, these are good. Sacrifice. Thank you. So, the examples that I thought of as I was starting to put this together. I was thinking things like love your enemies or even love your neighbors. You could take those two messages and combine them and come up with um, Matthew 7, verse 12, which says, So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophet. You know, the golden rule, as it's sometimes called. You know, is that the summary of Jesus' teaching? What about loving God? Matthew 22, verse 7 tells us that Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Well, what about money? How many times does Jesus preach about money in the New Testament? He always talks about money, didn't he? Don't worry, we're not having a prosperity gospel preach this morning. <laughs> but it is one of those things that in 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus taught, he uses money. And okay, that is slightly misleading because although he's using money, he's not talking about it as such. He normally uses it to paint a bigger picture and use it as an example for something else. Could be things like um, uh, how we should use our gifts that God's given us. Um, but, you know, if we look at the first gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, I think we can see what Jesus' message is from the very first time Matthew records Jesus preaching. And it's this uh, Matthew 4, uh, 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went to and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake and in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And it then says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or in some translations, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If we're going to sum up all of Jesus' teaching into one tight sentence, I think that's a pretty good place to start. Of the four Gospels, three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all include, as his early teachings, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is near. So when we think back to preaching series that we've done recently, when we were looking at the book of Matthew, we had all these radical teachings that Jesus taught us about loving one another, not hating, not even looking lustfully at another person in case it leads to something more. It talked about how we shouldn't just, you know, have marriages, but we should try and protect those marriages and honor those marriages and the covenant that it is. And all of those things point towards a larger and more important message, which is the kingdom of God is at hand. 
See, Jesus loved to preach about the kingdom of God. In the book of Matthew alone, Jesus mentions the kingdom over 50 times. Between chapter 4 and chapter 26, that's twice a chapter for almost an entire gospel. So, what is the kingdom of God? Now, some of you may have noticed an event that happened last week. And those better than I may have been able to make that a part of this preach. However, I didn't actually pay that much attention to the coronation last, last week. Um, but the bits that I did see, there was a big golden coach. I remember that. And uh, there were lots of soldiers and people parading through the streets. Um, there was uh, all the lords and ladies at Westminster Abbey. Penny Mordaunt with her big sword marching along. It's one of those iconic images from the coronation. And then finally... King Charles sat on a throne next to Queen Camilla and having a crown placed on his head. And in that time, he was then declared the king of the United Kingdom and 14 other countries. But this modern view of kingdom is actually quite a diluted view of what the Jewish people would have understood the kingdom to mean when Jesus preached. See, when he preached about the kingdom of God and his place within the fulfillment of that narrative, it can be lost on us a bit. See, in king English, kingdom typically refers to a place. The Oxford Dictionary definition is a country or state ruled by a king. However, in Hebrew, with the word Malkuth, do you know what? I don't know how many times I've practiced that and I still get it wrong here. Or in Greek, Vasilio, kingdom refers to an activity or an action. The action would include a place, but it is about where the king does the action of kinging. Okay, that's not a word. Reigning. That's a better word. Where the king has the action of reigning. Yes, it involves a place. It has an area that the king has authority over. But it's, it's the action of his authority and his authority being spread through the land. However, in the New United Kingdom today, or Australia, or New Zealand, or any of the other countries that King Charles is the king over, you, you wouldn't say he actually has that much influence in our day-to-day -day lives. His influence and authority are mostly given away to whichever government is in power in that land. So if Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here now, where was it before? Well, let's have a look back to where it all started. Let's go back to Genesis. Now, we all know this story. God speaks, and with such authority and power, he creates the heavens and the earth. He places stars in the sky. He gives us a sun and a moon, and then he creates an earth. And in that earth, he separates the land from the seas. And he commands plants to grow fish to populate those seas and birds in the air and animals across all the land. And then right in the middle of all that, he creates a garden. And in that garden, he places mankind. So Genesis chapter 1, it said, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves across the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. This will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw what he had made, and it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and it was the sixth day. Just remember, you are good. Because God made you, and he said you were good. So, in the center of this new perfect creation, God puts mankind. And it's supposed to be a place for creation to live in harmony with us, and for us to live in harmony with God. Mankind is made in the image of God. And we were commanded to then go and make God's image through the earth and to represent him through the land. And if it stayed that way, it would have remained perfect forevermore. But we know something went wrong. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat that, you will certainly die. Now, God gives Adam a garden full of trees and bushes to eat from. Plenty of food to eat in the center of that garden. He leaves two trees with a really simple choice. Eat from this tree and you will live. Eat from that tree and you will die. This tree, good. This tree, bad. God is saying to them, if you want to live forever, you just have to obey me and keep me as your source of life. That tree of life, that source of life was coming from God. And and he says, I've created all of this just by speaking, and I've given you life by making you from the earth and giving you my breath. So just let me stay as your source of life. And you will flourish. However, if you want to do things your own way, you can. But there are consequences. And the consequence of that is death. And the thing is, it's not death because God was going to kill them. You know, God still loves his creation. He didn't abandon it. He said, the consequence is you are rejecting me, which will lead to your own death. And because Adam chose to cut himself off, by extension, he then cuts off the rest of humanity from that relationship with God. So he leaves Adam with his newly formed partner, Eve, to continue to live and administer God's rule on earth. And it says this in Genesis 3. Now the serpent, Do you know, in Jewish tradition, they would boo when certain things happen in preachers. Serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we must eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from this tree, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. 
and you must not touch it or you will die. Sounds a bit different. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat, f- eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit on the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her. He was there. And he ate it and, they, and the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, if you ever want an example of God sounding like a parent, the amount of times I have to go up to my kids and like, what did you do that I told you not to do? You didn't do it. Yeah, you did. And the woman said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, well, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since you were take from, since from it, you were taken for dust you are. And to dust you will return. Adam and Eve chose poorly. They rejected God's authority. And by extension, we rejected his authority. They looked at God's plan and believed the lie of the devil and thought they could do better. So instead of living in perfect relationship with God and extending that relationship and harmony throughout earth and for future generations, they brought pain and suffering to it. Jealousy, anger, lust, pride, greed. Things that were the opposite of God's character are now established in the human race. The authority given to us by God has been selfishly taken and tossed at the feet of the enemy. And in doing so, breaks creation. Sickness, death, crime, poverty, even natural disasters are now in the earth because man has broken his relationship with God and given authority to the enemy. We opened our eyes to the whispers of the enemy and allowed him to rule in God's place. Mankind was never supposed to experience death. We were supposed to live on in God's presence, filling the earth in harmony with him. But as the consequence of our broken relationship with him, 
death has come to take us away. And if we die outside of a relationship with God, we are cut off completely. And we will spend our eternity, not with him, as he intended, but shut out and separated from him in what the Bible calls hell. Hell is the place where we are completely forever cut off from God's presence. But there's hope. The truth is God doesn't give up. He doesn't just abandon his creation or throw it in the bin, although he did come close. And through the Old Testament, we see over and over again God reaching out um, reaching out to his creation and saying, come back. Come back and live in a relationship with me so that you might live. In Noah, he sees a good man. A righteous man. A man of faith. And we're told in Genesis 6-9 that Noah walked faithfully with God. And God chose to rescue Noah and his fam family from the flood that is threatening to wipe away all life from earth. After Noah, God chooses Abraham and his family to become the people that are once again dedicated to him. And through his people, God tells us that he will raise a savior who would be a king. A king who would be righteous and just. One who would free the earth from its slavery and sin and to defeat death itself. Now we know that king came and he was called Jesus. Born miraculously to a virgin, fully man, but also fully God. And he lived a life in perfect relationship with God, his Father, to show us what God's kingdom in our lives should look like. In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted, just as Adam and Eve were. He's told lies by the devil in an attempt to break his relationship with God. He's tested, um, just like Adam and Eve, he's tested to question God's authority, but he doesn't waver. The devil even tries, him, tries to trick him into handing over his authority. But Jesus simply replies with, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so having rejected the devil, we return to where we started this morning, and Jesus begins his teaching ministry. For that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is saying, repent, turn your mind, change your way of thinking and the way you act. Turn your life away from yourself and your own desires and turn it towards God. Because his kingdom has once again come near to you. And Jesus demonstrated to anyone and everyone who was around him what God's kingdom should look like. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Those who were oppressed by demons, he set free. He brought joy and peace to those around him. He lifted up the, those that society rejected, the widows and the orphans. It didn't matter if you were young or old, male or female. Jesus brought life wherever and to whomever he met. He healed the servant of a Roman soldier, the Romans, the oppressors, the enemies of the Jewish people the most hated people 
on earth to the average Jew. The people who would literally break your legs for looking the wrong way at them. But even to the Romans, Jesus offered a display of the power and the kingdom of God. And he did it all to release his people from the power of the devil and restore them to a relationship with God. And in the end, he made the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate victory, despite living a perfect life, despite never doing anything outside of the will of his father, he was taken to the cross and hung to die. He suffered a death, even though he didn't deserve it. Because we have already seen death is a consequence of rejecting God. But even to death, even to death, he brought the kingdom of God. Because three days later, he rose again in victory. And he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Just as God has said, the snake's head had been crushed. And because of his victory, we can choose to believe in him and be restored to relationship with God as he always intended. And through that relationship, once again, we can establish the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, although at the moment we do live in strange times because Jesus has won the victory, but there's still work to be done. He's overcome death, but... There is still death in this world. There's still sin in this world. There is still sickness in this world. Thousands of years of rebellion, pain, rejection and suffering that still needs to be sorted out. And I was trying to think of a way to explain this time that we're in. And the only thing that I could think of was actually from a time in our own history. So does anybody know what happened on the 30th of April, 1945? It's to do with the war, and yes, someone died. A very important person in that war died. Hitler. Yeah, sorry, talking about Hitler in church. On, that, on the 30th of April, Hitler took his own life. He had lost. Hitler had lost. Yet, it still took another week before the German army surrendered. They fought on even though their leader was dead. Victory in Europe was declared on the 7th of May, 1945. It was another four months before Japan surrendered. The Second World War didn't finish for four months until after Hitler had died. In 1974, a Japanese soldier was found in the jungle of the Philippines. He thought the war was still on. He was hiding, thinking that he was going to be killed. So that was 30 years after the war had finished. In 2005, two more soldiers were found in the uh, Philippine forest. 60 years thinking that there was still a war going on and not wanting to return home because they thought they might get shot for desertion. We have a message to take out to the world. 
to find those who are lost and to tell them the war is over, the battle is won. We have a duty to this earth to clean up the effects of the war. Even now in our history, we're still seeing things that are a consequence of the Second World War. The shape of Europe, the shape of the rest of the world is one major event caused all these changes through history. And we're still cleaning up. We're still fixing all the problems that came. And like, like the end of that war, it's the same for us as the church. People still need to hear the good news. And shown that the broken and fallen world isn't God's plan. There is a God who loves them and desires a relationship with them. And that he is the source of life for the world and for the church. That is our job. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you didn't give up on us. We thank you that you didn't reject us. Even though we rejected you, even though we were born and we said we want to do things our way, you still loved us. You loved us enough to send your son to die for us. And we pray, Lord, that we never forget that. We never misuse that and we never take it lightly what you have done for us. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us in the day to day to be able to go out and find those that are lost to find those that think there's still a battle on and show them that the war is over. They can return home to their father and be embraced by you in love. Amen. Mm-hmm.